0: Hey, welcome to the Pharmacy Residency and Money Podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm Tony Guerra, pharmacist and publisher, bringing you help succeeding in your career, health, and wealth before, during, and after residency. You can sign up for the email list at pharmacyresidencypodcast.com to get your free LOI template or get editing help working one-on-one with me at residency.teachable.com. Before we get started with the show, I just want to tell you what we're doing, which is that we are giving you the optimal. I'm giving you the optimal order for investing your money, uh, from a video made by take him, uh, of the financial tortoise. So it's emergency fund, employer match, high interest debt, Roth IRA, HSA. We'll talk about that in part one, then we'll do 529 max 401k taxable account, lower interest debt and pay off the mortgage in uh, episode two but I can tell you that as you are moving toward applying to residency or even your PGY two, or moving into a job more and more, as I've gotten older, the, the most important thing is that that job fits in with your life and that you come home from that job, at least somewhat satisfied with what you do. But I tell you that the time freedom that I have in my job is amazing. And, Was it easy saying yes to a $52,000 a year job? It actually ended up being like closer to 65 or 70, um, in, you know, 15 years ago when I took it, no, it wasn't easy, but it was important that one, I had set the financial foundation that I could do that. And two, I have found that the memories and the experiences that I've had with my family and children, have been much more valuable than any amount of return on investment or money that I would have had. So as you're looking to your letter of intent and you know, you start struggling with it, you know, certainly go to residency.teachable.com. You sign up, you can work with me, but I just wanted to tell you what it really is that letter of intent is doing two things. One, it's really figuring out where you really want to go that fits with you and your lifestyle. But two, it's having somebody that can really help you get there because it's not about getting the prestige one. It's about getting the one that gives you the most time freedom. And I assure you, as you get into residency and you're hearing about all these nightmares with students that are doing 12 twos, which is uh, you work 12 days and you're off two, then do it all over again. And you're sitting there with, you know, a relatively reasonable schedule, where you have relationships, you're meeting friends, you're doing your research and you're, you're just basically having a good life. Um, I I think that it it all comes down to being financially savvy and, and and understanding where you can find that. So uh, take him the financial tortoise. I recommend listening to his YouTube channel or watching his YouTube channel. Uh, I think it's phenomenal, but we're gonna hear from him here and he's gonna give us the first five uh, of that uh, order of investing and then we'll get the other five in the next episode. So let's get started with the show. Hey, welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm excited to have Tay Kim on, who is uh, the owner of the Financial Tortoise, uh, which is a channel I follow on YouTube. Uh, many of you follow me on Tony Farm D, uh, and I know that I have pharmacology. I know that I have residency stuff there. Um, but uh, what we're going to talk about here is one of his videos, his most popular videos, uh, which is kind of an order of operations or order in which uh, to put your money. I think that asset allocation or where you're supposed to put your money is is uh, sometimes needlessly complex. And and I think when we have this conversation, it's going to hopefully make a lot more sense. Uh, and then we can talk a little bit about how you can meet one-on-one with him uh, if there's some things that, you know, may be particular to your situation. But I just want to make clear he is not a financial planner, uh, but as a fantastic uh, financial channel. So, Tay, welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast.
1: Awesome. Thank you for having me, Tony. Um,
0: can you first uh, maybe introduce us to what made you put the podcast together and uh, what got you so excited about finances and uh, your method of um Growing your money uh, slowly uh, seems to really resonate with a very risk-averse group of pharmacists.
1: Yeah, so as you alluded to earlier, I have a uh, a channel, a YouTube channel called Financial Tortoise. So then, the, um, the base of the, I guess, the ideology behind the channel is this concept of slow and, ste- slow and steady, based upon the uh, the tortoise and the hare, the fable tortoise and the hare, you know. Um, I think the finance world, I mean, based on personal experience, um, there is just so much uh, information out there um, that's hard to filter through. Um, And then there's also a lot of uh, chatter regarding, you know, making money quickly. Um, But then uh, I think the combination of complexity and the desire to make money quickly gets a lot of people into trouble very quickly. Um, so I think that's where, uh, my philosophy about, you know, uh, money, uh, has been don't try to rush it, um, take it slow. But then at the same time when we're taking it slow, you know, uh, a lot of the concept of simplifying how we approach things, uh, not overcomplicating, is actually one of the, the surest ways to really grow our wealth. So that's a uh, kind of the general theme of the channel, I've been running it for about a couple of years now. Uh, Previously, um, in my previous life, I was a finance director uh, for like a quarter billion dollar company, just running corporate finance stuff. But then I was always interested in personal finance. Um, When I got my, uh, before I became a finance director, I got my MBA and that was kind of, uh, I had a six figure student loan that my wife and I, we paid off. um, And that was kind of the start of our financial journey. And then having six figures of student loans that we had we were burdened with that we had to pay down. I think it was kind of a blessing in disguise. It really forced us to learn money and okay. then forced us to budget, learn to live below our means, um, which, you know, carried us forward to being able to, you know, be in a really better financial position today.
0: Yeah, Dave Ramsey talks about how uh, losing everything was the best thing that ever happened to him, uh, where he uh, over leveraged uh, all of his real estate and uh, the banks called all of his loans at the same time. Uh, and uh, he just didn't have have the money to cover it. Well, let's actually start with student loans and then we'll talk about the emergency fund. Cause one of the things that I always hear is, well, I have these student loans. Why wouldn't I pay the interest on the student loans? Why would I develop an emergency fund? And uh, the average uh, pharmacy student is graduating with one hundred and sixty thousand in debt. Um, private schools are a little bit more, public schools are a little bit less. That's actually down from one hundred and seventy thousand. But you know, they, they this pause has made things really tough in that people have just gone on with their lives. And so, can you explain the rationale be, between behind the emergency fund being kind of the first thing you do uh, rather than just be the the hair let's go back to the fable and just kind of go be the hair and like
1: i just want to pay these things down let's
0: just start throwing money at the loans
1: yeah yeah so i think um the what do you call it you know money is uh more of an emotional game rather than a mathematical game so i think mm-hmm. that's where you know we always uh very intelligent people i mean a lot of the pharmacists um that's on your podcast are very smart people that's why they got in pharmacy school and very analytical. So I think a lot of times we approach you know um life's problems and money being one of them in a very analytical perspective like looking at okay if I uh you know use this methodology to pay down my student loan by this much and then I increase it by 2.4% by year then I would have it paid off by you know within 2.6 years mm-hmm. so I think we you know we approach it that way but we as humans, we don't behave in a very logical way. And that's where um, we have to factor in that emotional component of how do we sustain um, good habits for a long period of time, that we are tackling this student loan um, for a long period of time. And that's where emergency fund plays kind of this foundational role in giving us this cushion in life. Um, I like to use a analogy of, bowling bumpers bowling alley bumpers you know how when okay you go bowling, guardrails yeah. the guardrails yeah, yeah yeah when you're first starting out um or it's more for the kids you know like you're teaching them how to bowl yeah and they get all discouraged if the ball goes into the gutter so then you have the guardrails and then you're still in the game so then you're still getting you know your ball however you throw it down the lane as long as you throw it it's going to make it to the other end right so emergency fund i like to kind of think of it like guardrails uh, we're going to have this grandiose plan to pay down our student loans. However, life is always going to happen. You know, things are, our car's going to break down. Our kids going to need, um, you know, braces a year earlier than we thought. Um, there's, you know, just, uh, just emergencies that like your water bo- your, uh, you know, water heater is going to break down something. Mm-hmm. And the key is you want to, um, stay on track. And that's what an emergency fund really helps you to do is smooth out um, these surprises that are going to happen, so that you stay uh, stay in the game to continue to work on your finances. Because that's where you know, if you're if you don't have an emergency fund, and then you have this grandiose plan saying, if I, you know, um, pay down this much to my student loans every single month. Uh, I'll be done in the two and a half years but then you don't have an emergency fund and something happens where you're gonna need two thousand dollars so then you have to pause your student debt time that uh, down plan and in a way that's going to discourage you emotionally so this is the whole concept about you know we we like to op we think that we can map out everything we think we will be analytical but we're emotional beings and I think that emergency emergency fund really just, mitigates, um, helps to just kind of smooth out the bumps that are going to happen. And you're, you're really preparing for, you know, for those, uh, those events to happen at the same time, um, you know, like ensuring that you emotionally stay within the game. Okay. This sounds psychology of money-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very much. I mean, that's, you know, I'm sure, you know, a lot of other money, uh, money gurus would say the same thing about, Um, if we were, uh, like I talk about it, you know, how, if I was analytical, I probably wouldn't have gotten myself into a six figure student loan. Right. (laughs) Right. So then that was, you know, like if I did all the math, I was very calculating, then I wouldn't have, it would just, I was, I was too dumb. So I got myself into this, you know, this mess. So it's, uh, irresponsible for us to not consider that. You're in your
0: quantitative methods class realizing what you've done. Okay. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's talk about doubling your money. I think that's what's so addicting about gambling. Uh, You know, you you have the chance to put your money on black or red and you have $100 and you can make $200 and you can do that in about three seconds or you can lose $100 in about three seconds. So your second step is the 401k employer match. Um, where you can get that money. And my my wife works for the VA, so it's tiered. Some of it is 100%, some of it is 50%, and then it falls off. But tell me a little bit about why that comes second.
1: Yeah, so 401k match, I think is one of those things where if you're not taking advantage of it, you're really leaving money on the table. So a lot of employers, I've seen it range between three to 6%. So if you contribute 3% three percent of your income into a 401k the company is essentially saying we will match you that three percent um and that's in a way a three percent raise that yeah. you're not exactly. taking if you're not um if you're not contributing that amount so I feel like it's you know way uh on top of the list just because um that's you know that's money, um, that you're leaving on a the table, there's no other investments where you're going to get a immediate 100% return on, I know. you know, it's you put just... that 3%, you're getting a 3%. So it's just, <laughs> you know, it's just no brainer in my perspective. Yeah. There's the S&P 500
0: and there's 500 companies. All you had to do is pick one of the seven out of the 500 to get a, you know, not even the seven, I think only maybe two or three would give you a 100% return uh, recently. So that's fantastic. Um, I personally agree with your order. Uh, I know Dave Ramsey goes the other direction, which is number three. Dave Ramsey says to pay your high interest debt first, but I, I still say if you're gonna get a 100% match, um, that that would be the habit to to come into. Mm-hmm. But um, let's go into that high interest debt. Uh, I feel like they, they made a big deal of the credit cards going over a trillion dollars to, to be fair. Everything has gone up in price. So obviously the numbers, the, the nominal numbers are going to be higher. Um, can you give us a little bit of finance in terms of explaining what real numbers are versus I don't know if I'm saying it right. The number with interest, the number if you don't account for interest, you know, um the nominal rate versus um well, the interest rate. So just saying that um when we talk about the amount of debt that it's not exactly it's actually i'm not saying it right i'm not saying it right i'll come back to it but let's let's talk a little bit about high interest debt and how we have gone over a trillion dollars as a as a um country but you know after the 100 um uh match where can you get over 20 percent in terms of a, a return on investment, and it sounds like that's what credit card debts are at now—a little bit over twenty percent. Uh,
1: like twenty percent. So I guess you're saying uh by paying down high interest debt, we're right? I'm, I'm, those I'm turning it interest. into a quotation fingers right. investment. Yeah. If you cut yeah. the card, I guess,
0: and say yeah. you, you've stopped the you've stopped the bleeding, you've stopped, right. the yeah. Um, yeah. but it, but just talk a little bit about. Um Not only high interest debt, but how do you pay it down? How did you become, yeah, um, how did you become more because you had to have done this with your wife. You had to have yeah. partnered on something like this.
1: Yeah, definitely. So my wife and I kind of going back to our uh, student loan um, our history. So when we uh, got married, my wife had just graduated from nursing school um, and then I just graduated from business school. So it was combined $105,000 student debt. Okay. And then we went to a Dave Ramsey conference. So this is when I was introduced to the whole Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University, and he's completely anti-debt. And he introduces this concept called um, the debt snowball method, mm-hmm. where you're listing out your debt, um, regardless of the interest rate, your uh you're listing it out based on size. So your Mm -hmm. smallest debt goes on the top as the first one that you want to tackle. And then you put your biggest one at the bottom. And that's exactly the method that my wife and I used. Um, We didn't refinance. We just went straight into um, listing out all of our debt from smallest to largest. I think the small ones we had were like maybe a couple of thousand to the larger ones we had, there was about 10 or so total. And then the larger ones we had were like in the 20,000s. and The big um, advantage of this method is really kind of going back to the whole idea of the um, recognizing the emotional aspect of um, how we uh, how we behave. So once again, like you know, if we were to take the most financially, mathematically optimal approach. We would have done it by the interest rate because we're trying to minimize the total amount of interest we took. The, but debt, goes, but the debt avalanche, I think it's called. I think so, yeah. yeah. That avalanche versus that snowball. You're yeah. Right. You you rank it based upon interest rate. So you're it's mathematically the most um optimal because you're paying the least right. amount of interest. But the key is with that snowball is the momentum. It's that it's that extra kind of push to Dave uses this term called. Getting gazelle intense. Oh yeah, 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 gazelle <laughs> yeah. intense. <laughs> yeah, gazelle intense. You're making this huge transformation and change in your life. So the key is, how do you sustain this for a long period of time in order to make a dent in a hundred six figure student loan? Sure. And for us, the that momentum of paying off that two thousand dollars student debt first, crossing it off gave us that sense of accomplishment that motivated us to tackle the next one that was $4,000. And once we pay that off, you just kind of start to see the progress. And then, you know, it's not, uh, it's not equally weighted, but you know, you get like five of the smaller smaller ones done and you're like, Oh wow, I'm like 50% there. Yeah, In actuality, it was like the five smallest ones, but (laughs) that motivated us to keep on going. It gave us that win versus I think, um, If we start out with like a 20 000 one you just don't see that progress so you feel like you're chipping and chipping chipping away yeah and then that's when like life happens so you're like oh this is just you know like i'm not making progress um and then you just things happen you just don't put enough emphasis on it um your spending starts to you know kind of fill in the little gaps the extra money that you have versus when you have the momentum any kind of raise that you have you're applying towards the debt and you're constantly looking for ways to how do i optimize my expenses um in order that i can apply more towards the debt because i want to keep that momentum going right yeah mm-hmm. so it's like that uh, i'm not sure if you've ever heard of like jerry seinfeld he gave that recommendation regarding um uh to like new comedians like he said hey new comedian like you know how do how do i get good at writing jokes and he had this thing about like you, his calendar with the, the calendar X's? thing Xs. He's like, yeah. you keep a, you do a joke every day and you put an X and then you put an X every day. And then you want to keep the street going. So I think it was the exact same kind of that psych, psychological okay. method. It's like, yep. I want to keep that street going. Um, so that, that's, that's the method that we used.
0: Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And, then you go into the Roth IRA, which would be Mm -hmm. besides the employer match. Now we're really kind of getting into investing. Um, Can you first just briefly explain the Roth versus uh, the traditional? And then um, what made you put this as number four just before the the triple tax advantage HSA?
1: Yeah, so um, Roth is a um, after-tax retirement account. So with a traditional 401k, you get a tax benefit upfront. So you don't pay taxes today, mm-hmm. but you get to put that money into a tax deferred account and it grows. Roth, it works the reverse. You pay taxes today, but your money grows tax-free. And when you mm-hmm. take it out later, you never, you never have to pay taxes again on it. So I feel like, the, so the reason I put the Roth here, and I feel like what Roth is important is it kind of diversifies your um, overall tax strategy. Because, okay. you know, later on, you want to tap into your 401k, but those are going to be taxed. But then it's g- great to also have a Roth IRA, which you already pay taxes on. So it gives you that flexibility if you want to control how much income you want to recognize in later years, that you have that Roth money available that you can pull out. And the Roth also has another advantage where the contributions that you put in, can, can be taken out before you hit 59 and a half without a penalty. Okay. So that's another huge advantage of, um, you know, and it's the total amount that you can put in is capped at, I think it's like $7,000 now. So sooner you put in, uh, earlier, much better it is because you're letting that money compound.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They just, um,
0: they push this a little bit, but, uh, because I'm 51, my catch up contributions have to be Roth in a couple years. So mm-hmm. it's just something that they did. So can you talk a little bit about the HSA? My understanding is after retirement or when people retire, that's the number one expense or one of the number one expenses is healthcare.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So HSA is a kind of a, uh, like a niche account. Um, in order to have an HSA account, is it's a, HSA is a health savings account. You need to be participating for your health insurance, a high deductible plan. So um, uh, most insurance companies should offer it. Most companies should offer a high deductible healthcare plan. Um, So it's uh, the nice thing about HDHP is that the premiums are lower. Um, And so this is great for people who don't have recurring health issues you just need something for emergencies. And then you're allowed to have an HSA with an HDHP. Now HSA is what, you know, in the, some people will call it like a triple tax benefit, the secret early retirement account. And the reason is because you get um, upfront tax deduction, just like a 401k or traditional IRA, you don't pay taxes money that you're putting in. And then the money grows tax-free, and then later on, when you, if you have uh, receipts for qualified medical expenses, you can withdraw that amount tax-free. So money goes in tax uh, uh, tax deferred, money grows tax-free, money comes out tax-free. So you're kind of like circumventing the whole tax system. <laughs> it's fantastic. And one of the strategies to really take advantage of this is um, unlike like an FSA where you have money... Whatever money you put in, you have to use it that year. HSA. Uh, if I put money in today, and I my kid or like I I had a like a dental uh, procedure for thousand mm-hmm. dollars, I hold on to that receipt. I can withdraw ten years from now thousand dollars from my HSA as long as I have the record. So that is where um, uh, you, in a way, like you you spend today's money tax the money that you pay taxes on already to pay for that dental treatment. But then you can withdraw that later, you know, after the money has appreciated. So that thousand dollars that you're pulling pulling out is all an appreciation on the on the investment you put in. So you could be so, paying your dental procedures with just the interest. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, great. Yeah. 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 So that's if you ha- so this is uh the reason I put the Roth before the question that you asked earlier before HSA is because not everyone has access to HSA. So oh yeah. it's kind of a niche, you know, like and you also um have to be participating in HDHP. So this is kind of a, uh, an option that not everyone has access to, whereas Roth is something that everyone pretty much has access to.
0: So that was Tay and his first uh, uh, five tips, I guess you would call it, and then we'll do the next five in the next episode. But again, I, you know, I don't mean to be preachy here, but when it comes to looking back and being satisfied with things, it really comes down to writing an honest letter of intent so that you know where you're going and picking the wrong places to apply to is the number one problem that students have. They hear that it becomes so clear from their classmates, which are the most popular sites and which are the ones that are going to get them the most prestige. or there are some colleges that literally tell people where you have your job and, you know, the reverence that some show is like and accepted as a resident at the Mayo Clinic. And there is a pause like this silence and appreciation that they receive this hyper competitive residency. And I think that that person will do great. But what I'm saying is that when it comes down to it, it really is okay if you don't get the very top residency, but you get a residency that's going to get you a job near your house or that's going to get you, that's going to have a residency. It's going to allow you to spend time with your family, your friends, your kids, that isn't going to pull you away from your friends. So again, I think it all starts with the letter of intent, taking the time to do that. I think, uh, you know, go to residency.teachable.com. You can, uh, sign up there and I'm happy to help you with it. But, um, I think you need some introspection. As you're going towards this. And that is the easiest way to kill two birds with one stone. Get the letter written, but also make sure that you are visiting and applying to the right places. And don't forget my big tip for uh, ASHP Midyear is always to stay after the showcase and go to the residents' poster presentations, because that's when you will actually get to meet them one on one, talking about their research and talking about their residency, and many of them are very candid with how their experiences are, and some of them are great, and some of them are suboptimal. So, uh, you know, we'll see you next time, and again, Tony the Pharmacist at gmail.com if you need help. This has been the Pharmacy Residency and Money Podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You might want to check out our available residency audiobooks at pharmacyresidencypodcast.com forward slash books, or you can get your first book free if you've never been on Audible before. You can work one on one with me to get a better residency that will better suit your career, health, and wealth at residency.teachable.com. Feel free to send an invite to Tony Farm D on LinkedIn or email me at TonyThePharmacist at gmail.com. Music was by policy.